This is Lincoln A to Z. Lincoln A to Z. Lincoln A to Z. We've chosen 52 squares at random from the Lincoln A to Z street map. E and And now we have to go to all 52 and make a program about each and every one. Lincoln A to Lincoln Z. Lincoln A to Z. Each week we'll be setting off on our trusty bikes to find a different grid. Lincoln A to Z. We could find ourselves in a leafy residential area, a bustling city street, or a completely empty field. We'll present our findings every week here on Siren FM as we uncover Lincoln one grid at a time. Lincoln A to Z, fifty-two grids, two men, one map, no clue. There we go, and the uh, the gorgeous voice of, uh, of Tom Davis there, letting you know that it's time for Lincoln A to Z here on Siren 107.3. I'm Paul Tyler, and the producer on the other side of the desk always smells of roses. It's Johnny Hall. Hello there. Hey, Johnny. Uh, now then, uh, let us know what grid we're going to visit in this episode. My name is Dave Wesley. I don't live in Lincoln, but I think Li- Lincoln is a progressive city. The grid position is S12. Lincoln A to Z on Siren FM S12. And uh, Johnny, what is S12? What's taking up this grid? S12 is essentially the Canic Sewage Works. It pretty much dominates that grid. You're right. It does. Um, how did we both feel? Do you think when this uh, when this one popped out? It was yeah. We, I think we both thought it might be interesting, but it might also be a bit. Yucky. Yeah, yeah. Now uh, it's time to go. Uh, we're going to kick off this week with some spoken word. Now we usually have this uh, much later in the program from our friend Trevor Davis. However, for reasons that are going to become obvious later, we're going to start with Treff's view of our S12 grid. S12 sewage works. What is there to say about a sewage works? Not much. Horrible, smelly places, I imagine. Though I'm not speaking with any authority. Mine is merely a biased view built on ignorance and a willingness to make a judgment without any real evidence. I haven't even been to this sewage works, though I have driven past. It's not the sort of place you stop at to take a closer look. A necessary evil and not something to dwell upon. Yuck. After all, we all know what sort of stuff gets processed at these places. I'm not going to elaborate. Your imagination is already running into overdrive, though if I were you I'd move on mentally as I did in the car. People must work at these places. Hey, a job's a job. I wonder whether they leave the house in a suit in the morning, kissing their wives who hand them a briefcase containing their packed lunch. When they get to the office, the sewage treatment plant, they change into a boiler suit with helmet and rubber gloves. They don't tell the wife, probably say they work for the council or at a solicitor's. After all, what girl would want to be at a coffee morning with her pals and chat about what hubby was going to be doing today? when Hubby was cleaning gooey blockages from the feeder pipes. At night on the way home, they do the same in reverse. Probably make up some story about someone at the office. Oh, Reg, he's a real card, you know. <laughs> Funny how they never have a Christmas do with wives invited at this solicitor's. Every other solicitor's does. What was the name of the firm again? I once went on a sewer tour in London. Wouldn't want to do it again. I was wearing double rubber protection all over. When climbing down the ladder to the sewer, my nose developed an itch and I scratched it with my gloved hand. At that moment, I realised what I had done. The ladder was wet with sewer water. Nightmare. 
It would not be fair of me to leave S12 without finding something nice to say about the plot. After all, sewage works do perform a useful public service, and the circles that appear on the map are actually quite artistic. That's it, though. S12, sewage works, yuck. So our thanks to uh, Trevor Davis, whose uh, website, philosopherontap.com, uh, is the place to go uh, for more of that kind of thing. I love the way there that Treff says, uh, not the kind of place you stop and, and take a closer look. Well, hey, this is Lincoln A to Z. That's the kind of thing <laughs> kind of thing we do. Now, that's Treff's view uh, of the grid and uh, a presumption that most of us uh, would make. But is that the case? Uh, and as Johnny said, the majority, if not all this grid, is taken up with Canic Sewage Works. So we were delighted and well, somewhat relieved when Anglian Water agreed to show us around the site. Uh, we've been as sensitive as possible in putting this together, and you'll find that I'm delighted with the terminology that's used. Uh, right, OK, so uh, we find ourselves in grid S12. Uh, I'm here with uh, Dave Mould, you're the site, site operator. And um, we're at the point uh, at the, uh, the Canic... Canic Sewage Treatment Works, uh, where the inlet is. This, this is where uh, the, the, the product comes in, uh, which is a great word that I've heard Dave use, and we'll continue to use that because we want to keep, keep things clean and, uh, and decent. So I'd, I'd like to know, Dave, actually, from the very, very beginning, what happens when I flush the toilet in my house? How does it get here? It gets here through the sewage network and ends up coming through the pipework down to the inlet here at Canic Treatment Centre. Um, where it's initially screened, it, it eventually arrives here in liquid form because primarily the bulk of what arrives here is, is liquid and any solids when it arrives here are initially screened to remove large particles. I want to ask a question about uh, baby wipes. Well, I've got two young kids and I've got it in my head that I should never put a baby wipe down the, down the toilet. I mean, is, is that true? Is that a myth? What? Yeah, we would prefer it if you didn't put it down the toilet. <laughs> We have to remove all manner of um, product, as you can imagine, and it obviously costs a lot of money to remove that, but it has the potential to block the sewage system. So the, the less amount of uh, product like that that's been put down toilets and waste disposal units, as far as we're concerned, the better. Okay. And same with fats and oils, fats and grease, causes major problems in clogging up the, the sewage network, the pipe works, and our plant on site as well. So please don't put that down the toilet. Okay, I'll stop. I'll, I, pro- I promise. I promise, Dave. I'll stop that. But but that's it. Part of why we're here today is I, c- I can now physically see the problem that you have. Whereas before, you know, I, I'm at home and you know we've, we've got a toddler and uh, you know it's the easiest thing in the world just to get rid of it, isn't it? I'll show you further around the works the sort of problems it causes if this sort of product gets through to the filters. Okay, so what we're looking at now is is a, a huge tank. Is is kind of. It's that big that it actually shows up on our map. You know, the, the, the map, the people who drew the map, the A to Z map, have, have, ch- have chosen to put these in. Um, so, talk to us a little bit about what we're looking at here. I mean, they, they, but there's, there appears to be nothing in it. <laughs> That's because we've gone through a store. We had a heavy rain yesterday, and during the night last night, the treatment works is coping quite adequately with the flow coming to the works. But if we get an excess of what we would normally treat. It goes to storm, and these three huge tanks are our storm tanks. And this water that we can't treat straight away is stored in here until the inlet is at a level that you can take the water back from the storm tanks and treat it in the in the proper way. Okay, but I suppose as as Joe Public, I would want to know that is can you foresee? You know, we've certainly seen a lot of rain certainly over the last year or so. This this is going to be able to cope, isn't it, with with maybe an increasing uh, climate change? 
Well, yes, and our, our people are always looking into the effects of you know, climate change, population increase, and developing works and, and planning ahead for those sort of occurrences, yeah. Okay, so um, also what, what everyone would must notice when they look at uh, one of these kinds of tanks is uh, the big metal contraption uh, that just looks like it spins uh, around and around. What, what, what's that doing when, it, when it's moving? Well, as the water comes in here, the wastewater, it naturally it comes into the centre column, as you can see there, and the screen that's around the centre column is a diffuser, so the water comes in at quite a pace when it's been pumped up here. That stops the um, debris from being thrown to the outside of the tank. It naturally settles to the bottom, the heavier material settles to the bottom of the tank. The scraper that's going around the outside of the wall is scraping at the bottom of the tank, which as you can see is sloping back to a cone in the middle, and that's collecting the sludge that is forming at the bottom of the tank and sending it to the bottom. So we're the other side of the uh, of the of the road now, right up uh, up the hill, uh, and uh, the top now of the of the Canning Water Treatment Works. And uh, uh, again, another big tank, lots and lots of big circular tanks around us. Uh, but you've brought us here, Dave. Uh, so what does this what does this tank do specifically? The water that's being pumped up from the inlet on the other side of the road is pumped up to this particular tank. It's called a Pistagrit tank, and there's a rotating arm in the bottom of this tank. And the water comes in from the pumps, pumped up through the channels, and then hits these baffles, because at the moment it's travelling at quite a speed hidden to this channel. The baffles are designed to slow the flow down, to allow the grits to settle down in the water to the bottom of the tank and allow the water to pass through. And the rotating arm at the bottom is collecting the grit off the bottom of the tank and bringing it up into this rake system here and then dumping the grit, as you can see, into the skip. Um, I think it's also worth pointing out because we've been at other grids of ours o- o- over there, over the other side of the city. And at that point, I sort of said, well, you know, the people over there, they have a view of, of, of the sewage treatment works. Whereas actually, while you're here, uh, I think you've, you've got a pretty good view of the city, haven't you? With the cathedral in the background. Yeah, it's a bit of a foggy day today, but actually, um, it's yeah. It's a good skyline. And the area to our right hand side is a conservation area that we've put to one side that Angling Water uh, we don't go on there at all. None of, none of our staff are allowed onto that particular area. It's total conservation. You'll see from the wildlife, or the wildlife that's in the air at the moment anyway, we, perhaps the largest concentration of swifts and swallows that you'll find in the county across these filters, I would suggest. And on the banking up there, we have all sorts of wildlife. We have deer wandering around the top of these fields, badgers in, in there, and all manner of different birds over this particular area. It's a, quite a wildlife sanctuary here, actually. Exactly, and I suppose one of the preconceptions we certainly had before we came here was the smell, obviously. Um, but it's no, in fact, farmyards are probably worse there that, that I've been on. It's certainly not like this. Although a relatively sort of cloudy, overcast day, come summertime, does it get a lot worse? No, the, the generally the, the works is not an odour problem. No, this, uh, no, we don't don't suffer from that very. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that, that's quite a surprise, and I think that's a misconception that a lot of people, uh, well, would certainly have. You know, the layman, the man on the street, would uh, would, would certainly think that. Yeah. I think perhaps when you see what's coming into here, it is mainly water that's treated. I don't, you know, it, it isn't solids that are coming in here um, in vast quantities. It's very dilute by the time it gets here, anyway. Yeah. And that that we treat the sludge in the primary tanks that you can see in front of us is settling out within the water, going to the bottom, like it was in the storm tanks, being scraped off the bottom. And it's then been sent the other side of the, the road back to our sludge holding tanks. And the sludge is then treated in our press plant and our liming plant to kill the pathogens. 
and uh, it, it's, it's a good process. Uh, so there we go, there's the first part of our visit to our RS12 grid, Canic Sewage Works, and uh, thanks to Dave, we'll hear more from him uh, uh, later on after after the history. So, uh, so Johnny, uh, well, we learnt a bit there. I certainly learnt that the, the wet wipes thing isn't a myth, you know. I mean, I, I, I just thought there was... I didn't think it was an old wives' tale, but, you know, I, I perhaps didn't want to believe it because it's very convenient just to get rid of uh, wet wipes. There. It is, yeah, and I, I'm, I'm going to be using a lot of wet wipes later in the year when I have my, my first child, so yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, I'll, I'll be very mindful of that. Dave said don't do it, so I won't. Um, but I, I find this quite fascinating. You know, this is these areas are like the backstage areas of the city, really, aren't they? Kind of behind the scenes, yeah. you know, th- these places need to exist for everything to run smoothly, but we don't really know they're there, and when they're doing their job right, which they usually are, you don't even know of their existence. Exactly, exactly. It's, uh, it, it, once you flush your toilet... Uh, away it goes, and this this was actually discussed on Nina and the Neurons this week really? on CBBS. Yeah, another thing that once uh, once a baby whore arrives, um, it's, it's, you're going to be familiar with uh, with the CBBS channel and uh, Nina and the Neurons. But it's a great engineering program. You're, you you are going to love it. Yeah, I, I look forward to that. But it's I mean, we really do take for granted flushing the toilet or putting stuff down the sink. We don't even think about you know what happens to it afterwards. And and seeing this place really undermine underlined to me that enormous infrastructure that's going on behind that you know hours and hours of human toil and, and ingenuity has gone into building all the stuff that's underground that gets it to this place and then this you know facility itself and you get your bill from anglian water every year don't you, you look at it and you think what cool. are they spending all that on you know yeah. well we saw what they're spending it on and you know frankly it's every time you flush the toilet it's a little miracle <laughs> it, or a, a big miracle in my case sometimes but yeah. <laughs> Johnny so <laughs> I'm moving swiftly on from that I mean I was I was worried as you know Johnny as we, as we got involved with Anglian Water that are a, a PLC a, a company and uh, I was worried about pr- promoting them sort of too much and you've, you've just given them a perfect tagline for it we'll, we'll see that on the side of their vans now <laughs> uh, every flush is a little miracle and uh, but I was, I was worried about you know presenting a radio show that's promoting a, a, a private company however what other choice have we got? <laughs> we we haven't. It's not like uh, telecoms or, or anything like that, where or electricity, where all these other different companies can get hold of it. They do seem to. Uh, actually, now I wonder why it was why it was ever privatised because. No, there's, there's no competition. You know, there's Thames Water who are covering a different area, and there's, yeah. there's various companies around the UK, but they all cover their own areas. So there's no actual competition as such, is there? Yeah, yeah, which puzzles me. Uh, maybe mm. we, we could try and set up our own. That's uh, a good idea. Yeah. Water company. Yeah. Now we know all about it. This was uh, really just an inside track. <laughs> yeah, you just need a big bucket, really. Don't <laughs> yeah, you? exactly. We were on the inside. Yeah. Lincoln A to Z. Uh, okay, uh, now then, uh, contact details. You can contact us here, Lincoln A to Z. Uh, do it by email. We're open all month on the email. Lincoln A to Z at sirenonline.co.uk. Of course, you can find us on Facebook and we're on Twitter. Hashtag Lincoln A to Z. And of course, there's our website. LincolnAtoZ.co.uk And uh, with Twitter, we've also been using the uh, hashtag FamousLincoln because uh, later on in the programme we'll be reading out some uh, some tweets uh, and Facebook messages we've had about famous people uh, that have been spotted here in the city of Lincoln and uh, sometimes with uh, with glorious interaction. Uh, OK, now it's time for the history and uh, time to hear from Joe Hughes at the Lincolnshire Archive to let us know the history of our S12 grid square. Like several of the other grid squares covered so far, this area around the sewage works at Cannock was for many centuries defined by its geography, lying as it does at the base of the Witham Valley. The River Witham's much narrower now, but this marshy area gives you some idea of how wide it would once have been. Rising up above this boggy ground, pardon the pun, to the south of our grid square is the escarpment, the ridge where Cannock now stands, 
and this higher, drier land would have provided the perfect terrace for earliest communities to build their dwellings, with the wetland below providing them with fish, waterfowl, fuel and building materials. There's been evidence of early human activity found all around this area. Archaeologists discovered two decorated Bronze Age axes on the site of the sewage works, and these are now in the British Museum. The area has been used for centuries for grazing livestock, where cattle could get fat on the mineral-rich grass to be found in the marshy vegetation. The area is still known by its 16th-century name of the cow paddle. The modern-day look of this area of Lincoln is actually testament to the 19th-century expansion of the city and how the question of the waste which such a city created was dealt with. The arrival of the railways and engineering companies brought many people from the rural areas into the city to work in the foundries and factories. Housing couldn't always compete with such influxes, and the standard of building and sanitation for many city areas was substandard and a great health risk. In the middle of the 19th century, several Acts of Parliament had closed down the already overcrowded city churchyards whose putrefying inhabitants were posing a threat to public health, and which led to the creation of the canic cemeteries we know today just to the east of our grid square. What was needed now was an answer to the overcrowding of the living and the insanitary squalor in which they were being forced to live. Malnourished people were living in overcrowded, poorly ventilated rooms with raw sewage and domestic refuse running down the streets and infecting the drinking wells. These were the breeding grounds for rats and diseases such as cholera, smallpox and typhus flourished. The Victorian death rate of the labouring classes was soaring at a sinister rate. The frustration at such a lack of action led James Hitchens, the coroner in 1857, to say this of all the city authorities. In Lincoln we have a corporation and typhus fever, a board of lighting, paving and cleansing and scarlet fever, a sanitary board and diarrhoea, all more prevalent than has been known for years. We also have a water company and the streets stinking in our nostrils for want of flushing the channels. Initially, little was known about what caused the diseases, let alone how to cure them. Yet as research progressed throughout the 19th century and the authorities eventually made the connection of insanitary living conditions with increase in disease and death, still little was done to deal with the problem. Even when the Public Health Act and subsequent sanitation reports all cried out, along with the victims themselves, for something to be done, progress was slow. The effectiveness of the Act took a long time to gather momentum because it depended so much on local initiative and was seen to lead to considerable expense. Then the pressure of national outrage eventually forced many slow-to-act city corporations to put money into sanitary improvements, which eventually led to the sewage works at Canick and the spreading grounds used for the treatment and disposal of sewage, situated, you'll note, like the cemeteries, at a healthy distance on the fringes of the city. So next time you go temping bowling and you pass the cemeteries and the sewage works, just think how much they symbolise the struggle to clean up the city, to make it a healthier place for its people to live and work in. Absolutely fantastic. Our, our contributors uh, really do uh, bowl me over sometimes with, uh, obviously, Tref. Uh, and now uh, Joe Hughes there as well, who can uh, paint a picture for us uh, on, uh, well, the touchiest of subjects. Lincoln A to Z on Siren FM. Find us on Twitter at Lincoln A to Z. OK, now time to hear some of your famous Lincoln uh, correspondence. We asked uh, a few weeks back now on on the Facebook and the Twitter uh, to get in touch and, and let us know uh, the uh, the famous people you've spotted in Lincoln. And uh, Johnny, you've found, uh, found some, haven't you? Yeah, I've been on the uh, You're From Lincoln If Facebook group, which is an incredibly lively group. Uh, loads and loads of responses to this on there. Um, Lee Dubtrans Punkhead Bruce says, got a kiss <laughs> from Joanna Lumley on the high street back in the early 80s. Can't be bad. Really? Um, D Hubbard says, met and chatted to Leslie Grantham in the Orange Shop a couple of years back. No doubt looking for a phone with a, a good webcam on it. And Charles Butler says, um, I, saw, <laughs> I, I really should read these, actually, before we read them. Charles yeah. Butler says, I saw Kate O'Mara buying tampons in Woolies. Oh, well, mm. I mean, you didn't have to. <laughs> no. 
Anyway, let's keep you above the waist, Johnny. Now then, uh, Rick Troop said he served at Lorraine Chase and saw Colin Baker on a steep hill uh, when he worked at Meldrum's Greengrocers on the Bale. Uh, I suppose the Bale's quite a good place for doing a bit of celeb spotting. And uh, Susan Wakefield, she used to work in uh, a cafe near the theatre in the 80s. Oh, what a time. And those uh, appearing used to come in on a Saturday between the shows. So then she saw Lorraine Chase as well. You couldn't move in Lincoln in the 80s for Lorraine Chase. Uh, Mick McManus, uh, Sheila Stiefel, I don't, I don't know her, but I certainly know Brian Canty was on uh, Kids TV, wasn't he? Yeah, yeah, yeah. and of course, Fraser Hines, of course. Uh, And she says some were lovely, others were not. Um, Please, Susan, spill the beans. Let us know the ones that weren't. (laughs) No, you're going to like this one, Paul. Uh, I know you're a big fan of this man. Uh, Richard White says, I saw Nick Knowles walking down the high street just near Starbucks, looking like he wanted to be spotted. Really? Well, yeah, yeah, I think so. I get that. I follow him on Twitter, of course. You're TV's, a bit obsessed with him, aren't you? TV's Nick Knowles. He's, well, he's good. We see him on those Saturday night game shows and the the, the time between him saying £1,000. <laughs> Honestly, oh, it takes ages. Okay, uh, Nick Morgan. Gosh, he's, well, anyone who starts uh, any correspondence with gosh has got my bloody... I've seen more celebrities in Lincoln than anywhere else. <laughs> Letitia Dean buying lampshades in BHS, which makes a change because everyone else normally sees her in Morrison's. Uh, Kevin Kennedy, uh, and he's put in brackets Curly from Corrie, we know that, uh, in the slogan Lettuce, Sue Pollard several times. Of course, Sue Pollard. Uh, I've uh, I've come across Sue Pollard in, uh, in a pub in Lincoln. Uh, now, the latest time he saw her was uh, Tesco Metro, where she literally walked into him and had to apologise. He's seen Anne Widdicombe. He's saying, look at, yeah, crikey, coming out of the assembly rooms and uh, Tim Vincent walking down the high street. And he finishes that off by saying, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Look out for this guy. He's a bit, he's a, bit of a celebrity stalker. That's Nick Morgan. And uh, Gina Overton says, uh, when I had the sweet shop under the Stonebow um, in Hicks Old Shop, uh, lots of people came in, such as Gordon Kay, of course, from Hello Hello. Oh, wow. And uh, Alvin Stardust came in looking for some old-fashioned sweets, no doubt some Kuka Chewits. <laughs> oh, <laughs> oh, I've been waiting you, all day to do yeah, that. Oh, wow, that's, that, Johnny, that's great. Uh, <laughs> you could have warned me that that was coming up. <laughs> now, we've met famous people, haven't we, Johnny? Before we, we did this programme, we did a, a reasonably successful programme called The Reading Room, uh, of course, where we appeared on stage with the likes of Robert Llewellyn, Crichton Off of Your Red Dwarf, etc., etc. And we met, um, you know, some heroes. I met Paul Heaton. Uh, Tony Hawks was fantastic. Uh, I, I bought the tea when we met Tony Hawks, if you remember. Um, and, uh, Johnny, I mean, you, you uh, one of your heroes, Richard Herring, how did you feel when you met Richard Herring? It's it's scary when you meet somebody famous, isn't it? Because especially somebody you really like, because they might be horrible. Mm. But um, no, Richard Herring was fantastic. Yeah, yeah, I think I think mostly we had very good experiences. Now, one of the very early days, where as soon as we we started up the reading room, we knew Katie Price was coming to do a book signing at uh, W. H. Smith's, and uh, some people fawn quite a lot when they hear a celebrity. This was uh, recorded outside. <laughs> Oh, my God. Oh, my God, indeed. Now, um, I have no moral high ground in there because it was quite an exciting time when we were in there, uh, inside WH Smith. There was a lot of press about, uh, a lot lot of, uh, you know, uh, bouncers and all that kind of thing, which sort of certainly adds to an atmosphere. There was a little bit of an entourage as well. And, um, well... (laughs) <laughs> this was me fawning all over Katie Price trying to get a, uh, a, a jingle from her. I see, fantastic. Uh, could you give us a station item for us? Is that, is that okay? Yeah. Uh, if you could say, um, this is Katie Price, you're listening to The Reading Room on Siren 107. Reading Room? Yeah, that's my programme, yeah. Uh, okay. The Reading Room on Siren 107.3. Hi, this is Katie Price and you're listening to The Reading Room on... Siren 107.3. On Siren 
Thanks very much for your time, Katie. Perfect, perfect, I tell you. Um, it, I mean, it wasn't. <laughs> she couldn't even remember a sentence, but, you know, that's, that's not too much. I mean, to be honest, I, I edited that out to make me sound a little better. That was edited, really. <laughs> yeah. Oh dear. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, yeah, that was. <laughs> no, it was. It was quite a, a fawning uh, scenario, and I, I, I feel quite embarrassed by that now. Lincoln A to Z S twelve. Back now to the S12 grid and the sewage works, where we continue to walk through the process of getting rid of our unmentionables. Okay. Uh, now we, we're stood in, in front of uh, what appears to to the layman uh, is to be you're, you're pouring water over rocks here but that's, that's not that's not what's happening is it what uh, what's uh, could you explain uh, what's in front of us and what on earth it's doing yes this is one of our filter beds and you can see along the hillside they're stretched all the way down towards Washingborough and these filter beds are taking the settled water so in the primary tanks that are behind us the solids are settling to the bottom of the tank and we're then passing water forward onto the filter beds and it's being distributed through these channels and they're distributing the water through this filter media, which is approximately two metres deep and full of microorganisms and bugs, basically. And the water that's going through here is being treated and the ammonia that's in the water removed by the microorganisms and the bugs within the filter bed. What I pick out from you saying there is microorganisms and bugs, and that's something that, you know, it it seems... A, a peculiar thing to control and, and, and keep, but hey, that, that's what's uh, you know returning our water you know to to the river. Um, how do you how do you monitor uh, you know actually what microorganisms and bugs are, are underneath here? Well, we we don't actually dig up the bed. We <laughs> monitor the water that's coming off. So we're monitoring to see what the ammonia level is on the water that's coming off these filters, and we we monitor that every day. The bed needs to be kept constantly moist. It's feeding, the, the, obviously, the water is the, is the food for the bugs. It needs to be aerated, so we've got oxygen and, and food going through the bed. And they're breaking down the, the particles that are in there and reducing the ammonia level that's in, in the water. And that's absolutely fascinating. That's one of the things that, you know, when you, when you drive off that road or if you, if you live in Washington and you drive past here every day, that, that's what's going on over, over, your, over your left shoulder. It's, uh, you know, it's, it's quite, you know... Quite and incredible. There, there is no smell here. There is no debris on the bed. You know, they're clean beds. It's it's a, a very natural process. So, having talked about uh, a beautiful view over uh, the, the, the the Canic Park here, the Canic Treatment Works, um, now we have a view of, of probably what you. You might well describe as as one of the grimmest things you could ever ever possibly look at. This is a sludge holding tank, is that right? That's correct. Yes, this is settled sludge that's come off the primary tanks through the early part of the system and has been drained off the bottom of the tanks and brought down again by gravity. And so I'm mentioning where the pipes were all gritted up, or the grit that's been removed, and some of that grit passes forward and obviously causes problems within our pipework system. But this, the sludge ends up in these holding tanks still a tremendous amount of water within the sludge as you can imagine and this goes through our what's termed our press plant and it's pressed out in some big plates the water's removed and we end up dry cake as we call it and uh, that is then treated with lime to kill any pathogens that are in the cake before it is used as fertilizer on the land and obviously it's tested before it's used. As having passed through the um, final settlement tank, it's pumped up here to the top of the, the sand filter and coming in to the top of these six chambers through channels, wearing over the top of the channels and then down through 
a very deep sand filter bed and that's then polishing any solids that might be left in the process before it goes out to river. Yeah, I mean, certainly what, what's surprising me, Dave, is, is certainly, you know, I knew it'd be big, but the scale of, uh, of what happens, uh, that, that, that is surprising. Um, I mean, how, much, uh, how, how much water goes through here a day? We, would, we are treating a thou- up to 1,000 litres per second. Wow. Uh, without doing the math, I couldn't tell you today, <laughs> yeah, yeah. but uh, it would certainly be, um, on a regular basis, 400 to 500 litres per second every day in dry weather conditions and uh, up, upwards to 1,000 per second yeah. in work. And I also think what will surprise most people is, is sort of the, the, the lack of chemicals and the fact that it's a very, very natural process. It, it really has it's, it surprised me, uh, you know, by uh, using uh, bugs and, and, and microorganisms up uh, over at the top there uh, and then to using something like sand. You know, I, I, would, Im- I would imagine driving past here that this would be full of chemicals, you know, sorting things out and, and all that, but actually, you know, it's, it's, it's relying on nature's yeah, it's way. All really, nat- it? It's a natural process, yes. The, the only product that we do add through the process is ferric sulfate which we add to remove phosphates we have to remove 80 percent over the year of the phosphate that comes in through your washing detergents that sort of thing that comes in with the water and before that goes out to the river we aim to and have to remove 80 percent of the phosphate that's that's in the water okay that is now the, the state of the water now leaving the sewage treatment works it looks you wouldn't want to drink it, but it looks like it's drinking water going back out to the river. Yeah, it does. I mean, that, that looks absolutely clear. It's the clear, certainly the clearest thing I've seen since I've been here, but it looks as, as clean as what comes out my kitchen tap. And uh, so the, the, this, this flow now, where does this, where does this flow out to now? It eventually goes out to the river, river with them. Okay, great. And, uh, I mean, I, it comes to me across that you, you, en- you enjoy this. You, you, you enjoy working here. It's sort of, uh, you, I mean, you know it inside out, obviously, but you're very good at your job. But uh, it, it sort of seems you, you take quite a bit of, a bit of pride in, in what happens here. Yeah, I think all of us do. We're living in the environment. You guys are living as well. We don't want dirty water. We don't want dirty rivers. So it's, it is a sense of pride that we can treat the product and uh, hopefully we do a good job of it. And you'd find talking to the chaps here that many of them have been here 20, 30 years. So they're long, long-term employees. Great stuff. Our thanks to uh, Dave Mould and uh, Anthony Innes as well from the press department uh, for setting all that up for us uh, from Anglian Water. And uh, yeah, I mean, absolutely, it's such a natural process that really took me back. I hope you get that from the audio there. I mentioned it a couple of times, Johnny, but it surprised you as well, yeah? It did, yeah. I mean, when we were on these uh, the beds where the, the water passes through with all these bugs inside it, one thing that really struck me was that uh, circling overhead, there were hundreds and hundreds of birds. It was like a kind of seen from a Hitchcock film with all it these birds circling over it. Yeah, swifts um, and swallows they were as well, yeah, weren't they? Yeah. They're quite, you know, they're very distinctive. Absolutely, yeah. But it is a very surprisingly natural process and, you know, this is important stuff. Without this, we'd all have dysentery, so... Well, I mean, another yeah. thing that impressed us definitely uh, was, was Dave and the, and the pride that he takes in his his job. And I, I mentioned that in, in the piece there. Uh, and it, it's absolutely true. There's, there was nothing he didn't know about that place, was there? Nothing going on that he didn't know that was happening. No, no, and very much at odds with uh, what Treff was saying earlier, really. You know, yeah. nobody's ashamed to work there at all. They're very proud of what they do, and, and rightly so. LincolnAtoZ.co.uk we're going to have some more correspondence now uh, from Facebook and Twitter regarding the famous people spotted in Lincoln. Go for it, Johnny. Yes, Stuart Wheatley says, um, I was sat fishing on the Brayford when I was a lad about 22 years back. Someone behind me asked if I'd caught anything. 
It was only Jim Robinson from Labour's. Now, that's impressive, isn't it? Oh, wow, yeah, yeah. And uh, Patricia Smith, this is a brilliant one. Patricia Smith, I served Slade when I worked in the buttery <laughs> at the Eastgate Hotel around 1970-ish. The little one with the hat had a child's portion of fish fingers and chips. <laughs> that's uh, Dave Hill, I assume. That's great. Oh, brilliant. Well done. Okay, Rick Sharp, uh, he saw Hattie Jakes years ago in the Littlewood Cafe uh, having a brew. And uh, Warren Mitchell stopped one Sunday outside what used to be Halfords High Street, St Mary Street. Of course, Halfords, yeah. And uh, he asked directions to the theatre. Uh, I hope you gave him. Uh, Mark Thompson uh, quite simply says, saw Rowan Atkinson at Lincoln Hotel. That's enough, isn't it? That's, that's, that puts my celebrity spotted into retirement. Well done. And uh, Simon Hindle, again, another corker, met Ian Jury at the Stonebow. Uh, Fate Esperger Brown says, uh, I saw Elton John on the bail while doing my paper round. That's pretty impressive. Early 80s, that was. Yeah, wow. Uh, and uh, Katie Cliff says, whilst at Barclays Bank, we served Ted Rogers. <laughs> uh, my, my cashier asked for ID and he was most put out and did the little three, two, one thing with his hands saying, don't you know who I am? <laughs> No, no, I don't. <laughs> um, it, it actually, I mean, it's surprising, actually. A lot of these, Johnny, are coming from a time, uh, maybe 80s, uh, 70s, 80s. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, when there was, certainly the Theatre Royal was, uh, was you know, kicking kicking through a lot. Uh, let's, let's bring it a touch up to date before we, we go back down to the 70s and 80s. Uh, Stephen Curley, uh, when they filmed The Da Vinci Code, this is via our Facebook page, when they filmed The Da Vinci Code in Lincoln, Serene McKellen stumbled past him outside the Lion and Snake. And uh, Stephen said, I hope you're enjoying Lincoln, he walked on. I thought he'd understandably ignored me, but he stopped dramatically and slowly, drunkly turned and said, do you know, I think I am. (laughs) (laughs) Never mind Serena McKellen, Uh, Natalie Brown saw Duncan chase me Norvell in TK Maxx. (laughs) What a great combination. Um, Helen Mitchell says, we once sat behind Peter Duncan at Pizza Express. And uh, taking it up a notch, Pete Sawyer <laughs> says, uh, we saw Charlton Heston and his what? wife outside no. the Theatre Royal many years ago. Don't come big, much bigger than that. No, 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 from his cold... Uh, yeah, we go there. <laughs> OK, Glenn Jones. Uh, Jim Bowen bought a radio cassette off him when he worked at Comet. No idea how he stumbled onto Tritton Road, because uh, they were probably nearer shops on the high street. But, well, you know, he was probably looking for a bargain. And uh, he signs off here, Glenn Jones, by saying, but we had a lovely day, Jim. And uh, Phil Munn remembers Bob Carrollgees having a pint in the Monson's pub on Boxing Day. Now, that'd make you Christmas, wouldn't it? But imagine imagine seeing uh, Bob Carrollgees. I bet he didn't have spit with him. You'd be disappointed, wouldn't you? You would, yeah. It's not the same. You probably wouldn't recognise him without spit, would you? No. Um, Susan Wakefield says, uh, I was walking up the high street. I saw someone I knew coming the other way, so I stopped, started to chat. How are you? I'm fine. Keeping well. Yes, keeping busy. That kind of thing. Anyway, we said our goodbyes, and as I walked on, I realised I'd been chatting to Lionel Blair. <laughs> His and he was so flare. lovely. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's not the first spotting of Lionel Blair. Lionel Blair stopped outside of the pub my mate Daz saw uh, once, and he did the whole tap dance routine outside the pub too. Uh, well, unanimous cheers, I, th- I believe it was. Wow, wow. Well, uh, okay, what else you got over there, Johnny? I've lost my bit of paper. Oh, uh, another quickie. Uh, Stephen Merchant was at the White Hart last July with two really tall women. They'd have to be really tall, wouldn't they? <laughs> yeah, they would, yeah. Uh, and talking, oh, talking of uh, being escorted uh, by people, someone once said uh, Craig McLaughlin. Remember Craig McLaughlin from Neighbours? Oh, yeah. And Check One Two fame. Yes. A, a taxi driver boasted of, uh, of dropping him off uh, at a, a certain rib, uh, rib-serving rib motel uh, with, uh, with a, a couple of very happy-looking uh, ladies. Lincoln A to Z. A question of Lincoln. That's right, uh, a question of Lincoln time now, but uh, 
as the bells of, uh, of Lincoln Cathedral chime in the background and, and the Siren FM choir uh, meet to rehearse again. You can just hear Charlotte Reed, uh, who hosts uh, Food for Thought on Wednesdays, 2 o'clock, and repeated on Saturdays at 3 o'clock, which is, uh, which is when I listen. Uh, and the podcast is now available uh, via the sirenonline.co.uk. And uh, a recent interview also on there featured with Brian Turner and Michelle Rue Senior, uh, who's got one of the best voices in the business. Okay, let's cut to the chase. Question of Lincoln time. Things are hotting up just a touch. Uh, currently 6-4 to me. Um, Johnny, fire one at me. Okay, uh, nice easy one for you this week. Oh. Um, over the weekend... It was the annual Trooping of the Colour, which, as usual, ended with a fly-pass by Lincolnshire's very own Red Arrows. Now, I always think one of the great things about living in Lincoln is that whenever the Red Arrows are involved in one of these big events, mm-hmm. you watch it on the telly, yep. and then a few minutes later, you hear them coming over the Lincoln. That's right. So it makes you feel really kind of connected to what's happening. Mm-hmm. So, my question is this. <laughs> Travelling at top speed, how long does it take the Red Arrows to fly from central London to Lincoln? Now, I'll give you a little bit of a clue. According to my aircraft top trumps, <laughs> the top speed <laughs> is 645 miles an hour. Wow. So, here's your options. Is it A, 11 minutes, mm-hmm. B, 12 minutes, <laughs> or C, 13 minutes? Oh, 10 seconds start they're now. They're too close. They're too close. Um, all right, 11 minutes. It's very quick, isn't it? Um, <laughs> it's very impressive, isn't it? It's brilliant, that. Top trumps. Well done. Um... Uh, 12 <laughs> 11 yeah. really yeah it's uh, 121 miles and yeah according to my calculator anyway alright okay well you know you haven't taken in uh, consideration for wind speed I mean you know, I'm not going to push this Johnny I'm not going to push this <laughs> if I <laughs> but we'll see okay right now then Time for my question for you. Okay. Uh, this program uh, is going out in June, uh, just in case you're listening to our podcast, uh, which, of course, you can download uh, via lincolnatorz.co.uk. Uh, and uh, in this month every year, uh, just north of our A to Z map range, uh, is the Lincolnshire Show. It takes place on the Lincolnshire Showground. Uh, and it's on Wednesday and Thursday, so that nobody can go because we're all at work or school. Welcome to Lincolnshire, folks. And uh, this year's Lincolnshire Show, uh, is it? And I think you might know the answer to this. Is it the 129th Lincolnshire show, the 130th Lincolnshire show, or the 139th Lincolnshire show? I remember the 125th, um, so that can't be that long ago. And I'm not aware that it's a big anniversary. So I'm going to say the 129th. You're right! Oh, that's meant to say, yes, there we yes, go. Yes, yes, ding, 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 ding. Right. Okay, right, Johnny, uh, convoluted score system, what is now the score? Uh, well, um, uh, well, you, you got the first one wrong, wrong, and I got that one right. Right. Well, I get uh, one point, don't I? 6-5, six, yeah, so it's six, currently 6-5. Six, yes. Things things are hotting up. Um, and I, what I don't want our listener to, to, to believe for any second is that I'm, I'm trying to uh, narrow this gap down to for, for dramatic interest. Really, <laughs> really, I'd rather trounce. <laughs> Lincoln A to Z on Siren FM. Just time now for a couple more each uh, from uh, Johnny and I for the famous Lincoln. And uh, Johnny, kick us off. Okay, uh, David Gaynor says, I met Paul Robinson from Neighbours um, in the old A&E near the maternity ward. <laughs> I've been taken in after being run over, and he was in because he'd fallen off his motorbike. <laughs> and uh, Rick Broughton says, uh, I saw Jason Donovan at Branston Hall Hotel about three years ago, and he asked me for a corkscrew. Now, we're going there soon, aren't we? Oh, yes, we are, yeah, wow. Yeah. 
Okay, well, that's something. Maybe we might see a famous person uh, while we're there, if we stalk them around long enough. Uh, Okay, now a couple more from Twitter, uh, using the hashtag FamousLincoln. Liam, at Liam also paints, uh, he met Russell Howard, uh, such a friendly guy. And he also met Sarah Millican uh, backstage at the engine shed. And apparently she is very sweet. And um, at at Red Pete 1975, my mum and Auntie Jill got asked directions to the Duke of Welly. Uh, Duke Wellington pub, of course, Duke of Welly, by Eric Bristow, the crafty Cockney, uh, which I think is probably one of the, one of the best ones. Ask, getting asked directions is quite, a, quite a good way to meet celebrities, isn't it? Lincoln A to Z. Thanks for listening to the Lincoln A to Z podcast. Do you know anything about this or any of our other 52 grids? If so, we'd love to hear from you. LincolnAtoZ.co.uk has all the information and contact details you'll need. And don't forget the live Lincoln A to Z show is on Siren FM Monday nights from 9.